All right, Peter, um, thank you for coming out today to the podcast. Thank you. It's good to have you. Um, It's good to be here, man. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, man. Um, So, hey, what's new? What have you been up to? Because I know we we actually don't hang out at all. (laughs) (laughs) We do, man. I mean, once a week, but yeah. 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 Um, What's new? Um, I mean, there's a lot of things going on right now. Um, We are... Uh, at the end, near the end of a turnaround year for Mission Meets. And so that's been really fun. And then um, just in the mix of starting a coaching practice, man, 18 months in and still feels like day one. And so lots of fun stuff happening there, launching new programs, figuring out how to scale, adding team members, all that good stuff. Okay. Yeah. The coaching program, I always wanted to ask you about that. Um, is, Is it, it's business coaching, right? It's leadership coaching. Oh, yeah. leadership. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So, because um, I know there's different types of coaching mm-hmm. uh, thing. Like you have like business. Some people have, they call it executive coaching. Mm-hmm. Is leadership kind of like executive or is this even different than that? Yeah. I would say it's a nice mix between CEO, executive, so like senior leadership, life. Um, it's kind of like an inner inter mix. Is that right? It's not, it's not even a word. Amalgamation. Amalgamation. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Of course. Yeah. Amalgamation. Took the words right out of my mouth, yes. bro. Um, it's an amalgamation of, um, so so we call it a re- relational awareness, right? And so leadership coaching to me is understanding what it's like to be on the other side of you. And then um, once you become relationally aware, as far as what it's like to be on the other side of you, you start to see it in others and you start coaching them through that process. And so um, we use a program called Giant. And the terminology we use um, through that programming is becoming a liberated leader. And so you become aware, so you know yourself to lead yourself to become a liberated leader, and I explain that later. And then liberated leaders create more liberated leaders within their organization. And so it's a relational awareness, an awareness about yourself, and then about the others that you're leading. How do you... And you're So you start at the top of the um, power structure, authority structure mm-hmm. of a business. Yeah. How do you how do you deal with that? Because I'm am ignorant on on this subject. Yeah. But there has to be arrogance up there. How do you break through the arrogance to tell someone, "Hey, listen, man, this is the change. You, know, like, <laughs> you are a narcissist, and um, you treat your employees bad." Well, I think it's more so like um, here's what I think is interesting, Kenny, is that um, a lot of people don't think of themselves as leaders. They don't call them themselves that. They don't realize they're leaders. They don't realize they're leading. And then um, a lot of times you start an organization, it's just you. And then, you know, if you're starting a company, and then you have a teammate you add, and then two, three, 10, 20, 50. And so what I mean is people find themselves in a leadership position. They didn't plan to be there. And that's not everybody. There's a lot of, especially entrepreneurs, founders, Um, they find themselves there. And so they don't realize they're severely outgunned. Like they don't, they don't have any tools or they have very few tools because they've just kind of like happened upon this thing called leadership. And so, um, when I say what it's, you figure out what it's like to be on the other side of you or understand that, um, a big part of that is that you realize that you have opportunity for growth. And so like you're talking about narcissist or you're talking about someone who will realize like, okay, there are some, I've got some things I can be better at. They have to want to know that. 
Mm-hmm. They have to want to know, like, okay, I know that I'm not good at everything. I know I don't have all the tools and resources and abilities, and so I want you to show me. And okay. so you'd be like, hey, man, I, I, you know, and then you, you, uh, you know, my buddy says, um, you want to, you, you need to be okay with realizing you've got broccoli in your teeth. Like somebody's gonna hold up the mirror and be like, hey, bro, ain't looking too good today. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, yeah, got it. All right, cool. How can I be better? Um, how do I get this broccoli out of my teeth? And I say all that because there are definitely some folks that are not coachable. Yeah. They're the people that are like, oh, no, I, I've got it all figured out. I had a, um, a buddy of mine, we were doing speaking. This is like, feels like 100 years ago now. And um, I had not done any speaking. And so I'm reading a bunch of books on public speaking and how to be better, tactics, strategies, you know, resources, things like that. And it was a great book. And I said, hey, dude, I won't say his name. Great book. You should read it. And he's like, I don't need to read it. I've done a lot of public speaking. I'm, I got to figure it out. And that to me is the definition of someone that is uncoachable. They, they don't, they think they've got it all figured out. They don't want to read something that could potentially um, highlight the fact that they're not good or not perfect at what they want or what they're trying to achieve. And so they don't consume those things. They distance themselves from it on purpose because they're like, well, if I go down that path, and I got to look into the mirror. I'm not going to like what I see potentially, so I'm not even going down there. Does that make sense? So yeah, yes, that makes sense. It it sounds a little bit of like almost fear based a little bit. Like they don't want to to look inside mm-hmm. themselves. I thought that's interesting because I thought that some of it had to do with uh, oh, shoot. I only could think of it in an analogy. You know, you remember when we were younger, when we were like 19? I can barely remember. Barely, I mean, like two years ago, right? When we were 19. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, um, we look at the uh, the world like, I got this figured out. Like mm-hmm. we were, like people say, Man, you're just young enough to think you know it all. Mm-hmm. There's a certain kind of ignorance. Like you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. So from your perspective, you pretty much know what needs to be known. Yeah. I thought that I thought it might have had something to do with that too. Like they have think they have it all figured out. Um, I think that when you're young, we call that an unconscious incompetence, right? You don't know what you don't know, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of what you, when you were saying that, Kenny, is what I thought about unconscious incompetence. But there also is um, a desire to want to know what you don't know, right? And so uh, I'll give you an example. When I've got a new business idea or a project I want to work on, immediately what I think about is uh, two different categories of people. One is who do I know that could do this in their sleep? Like if it has to do with real estate, I'd be thinking, I think about like, who do I know that can just, they could just break this down. Like Peter, 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 you're overthinking it. Here's what you need to do. And they yeah. could do that. Or someone who's got life experience, whether it's in business or family or ministry or whatever, that I respect their opinion. And I could sit down with them. And the reason I'm doing that is because I want them to a teach me B punch all the holes they can like yeah. just punch holes in it. Like, yeah. hey, bro, tell me how stupid this idea is so I can avoid wasting six months or a year on a project and a bunch of money on something that's just not going to work out. Um, that, to me, is um, a life hack. It's a way to short-circuit all the, ex- you know, and, and, and not short-circuit. It's a way to, like, leapfrog all these mistakes that you could make. Yeah. Okay. But that takes the ability to um, be wrong or look stupid. Yeah. I'm, I might present an idea. Like I had an apparel idea. I ran it by our buddy Paul, who's got a you know extremely incredible background I need to in talk apparel. To Paul, yeah, 
He's incredible, right? Yeah, I just, um, you just triggered something. Yeah, he should be on the show, right? Um, <laughs> talk about for a reason. Um, our buddy Paul almost died a couple times. And so uh, I ran him by him. And you you know Paul, like he's going to shoot you straight, like hard enough to where you might want to cry. Like he's one of the few people that made me want to cry when I've sat across the table with him a couple times. But I just know, like I got this apparel idea, I'm going to run it by him. And right away he's like, I hate it. I'm like, oh, dude, okay. I needed your blessing on this. Why do you hate it? And he's like, run it through. I was like, okay, hold on a second. I can overcome these obstacles. And I talked to him about it. And now he's thinking about the idea and helping me ideate on it. And it still might be a stupid idea. But back to the original question, you have to have a posture of um, not being the smartest guy in the room, or smartest gal in the room, knowing that your baby might be ugly. My mentor used to say that all the time. He's like, there's, you know, you think, you think about like um, uh, someone who's got a newborn baby, right? Ain't nobody's got a newborn baby. He's like, dang, dude, look how ugly my baby is. Nobody. It's the most, their baby's like the most beautiful thing that's ever landed on this earth, right? Yeah. But we all know you've seen babies are ugly. Some babies are ugly, right? And so take that analogy. We're not talking about actual babies. And think about business ideas. There's some ugly ass ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, going on the baby yeah. thing, did you see the Seinfeld episode? This came to my mind. I remember. Someone had an ugly baby. Okay. And well, are you familiar with Seinfeld at all? I, I am, but I don't remember it. And I've got a friend of mine, Tony. Shout out to Tony. He, he can quote every single episode. And every life experience comes back to a Seinfeld episode. So Yeah. Well, yeah. Seinfeld seems to be based off of life experiences. Absolutely. But there's an ugly baby episode where the mother's just in love with her baby. And they're looking at it, but the camera doesn't tell you what doesn't look at show the baby. But you're getting the descriptions off the camera. It's like, it kind of... Looks like, you know, they're saying these things, and, you know, our imaginations are even worse, yeah. but then Kramer just kills it. You yeah. know, Kramer, he just yeah. comes in like, oh, you know, he just flips out. <laughs> like, he's appalled by the look of this baby. But the mother's like, oh, this yeah. baby's so cute. Yeah, and we all need a Kramer, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. But you got to be able to handle Kramer. You got to be able to like, okay, this guy, dude, he's going to, he's not, he's going to shoot me straight. Yeah. yeah. So those are the people I think that will learn the most. The people you said, you said starting at the top, they need to know like, okay, man. Even the best of organizations, right? Like our buddy Steve, incredible guy, incredible business owner, incredible team. Even he knows there's still things that I could learn and I could do better, right? Yes. So you got to be open to that. And that's where you're going to learn. You know, I just had a conversation with my 14-year-old son last night. He got all um, huffy and puffy about homework and school stuff, and he was, like, defending himself. I'm like, oh, the way you're acting right now, is the way that someone who is a fixed mindset, never going to learn from their mistakes type person. You're a hard dad. You would be a hard dad for a teenager to deal with. Uh, uh, intellectual, analyzing, uh, <laughs> pillar of truth. That would that has to hurt. Like, I bet he's like, I don't know. Yeah, he didn't want to hear it, yeah. right? And so I, I've learned as a parent, I'm learning still, man. I'm gonna, still going to screw it all up. But like... I let him cool down, mm -hmm. and then we sat down, and I said, hey, dude, this is what I was trying to explain to you, right? You need to figure out, like, dig three layers deeper. Like, you, you messed up on this, mm -hmm. and I understand you don't want to hear about it now. You know you screwed up, blah, 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 blah. I don't care about this. This certain circumstance, I don't, I don't really give a rat's, you know, rear end about it. I more so am like, how did it happen? Is it a pattern? And why is it happening? And let's figure out a solution. That way you don't keep finding yourself here. Yeah. So a person has to, which is a perfect example with a teenager too, because adults can act like kids very frequently, is asking yourself, like, dude, like, how do I keep finding myself here? Why do I keep hitting this ceiling in my business or my personal life? Why is this a recurring theme for me? 
right? And then a phrase that we we coach through all the time is nothing to hide, nothing to prove, nothing to lose. It's this, I don't like the word mantra, but it's like this this sort of ethos or maybe some other word that I don't even fully understand the definition to is reminding yourself like, man, I'm coming in here talking to you. I got nothing to hide, nothing to prove, and nothing to lose, right? Yeah. We're having a conversation, and um, if you show up in a situation that is inauthentic to who you are, a lot of times it's because you're, it's one, two, or even all three of those things. Yeah. You're trying to hide the fact that you don't know the answer, right? You're trying to prove the fact that you deserve a seat at the table. You're worried about losing a client or some revenue, and then you say things that you know are outside of your character. They're not authentic to who you are. And so um, having that sort of like posture is like, wait a minute, okay. Like if, you know, my son, he's heard this phrase from me before. If he wasn't worried about trying to prove the fact that he, it was okay for him to not do his homework or to mess this up and he was trying not to lose face, then he could have been like, yeah, man, okay, let's sit down, let's dig in on this thing. Um, And so that sort of posture allows someone to be coachable and allows them to be like, okay, yeah, all right. I am. Yeah, you're right. My employee surveys are bad, and I deserve it. Yeah, employee surveys of customers. Employee surveys or surveys of the management. Management. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That website Glassdoor. Mm-hmm. Um, and if anyone doesn't know what that is, Glassdoor is a website where um, employees go and do reviews on the management. Yeah. There's some where people are like, management's incompetent, and there's a lot of it. Management's incompetent. Um, Dead end career. I hate it here. <laughs> it is. It is pretty crazy. It's like Yelp. Yeah. It's like the Yelp. Of, it's uh, Yelp for bosses, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and, and I, I will push back on that a little bit though. A lot of times, as po- people posting it, it's like they probably need to pull the plank out of their own eye. It's like, well, you probably weren't a peach employee either, right? Yeah. And so yeah. there's like uh, a lot of this. A lot of the coaching has to do with like management understanding what it's like to be on the other side of them, and then they'll see these things in their employees, and then they can help coach them, right? Yes. Um, so anyways, yeah, I've, I've known, like I'm a entrepreneur, entrepreneur. I love that. Yes. That's good. I know you could use that. Feel free. Dude, I might. <laughs> hey bro, I, I'm a full blooded Egyptian and we're entrepreneur Egyptian. D- we're, from, we're from Africa. Exactly. You are. Yeah. You're more African. Well, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just, well, yeah, you are. Cause you're a hundred percent. Yeah. I'm like 50. I'm, so, I, yeah, dude, yeah. I'm more legit. I should be sitting in that yeah, seat. Oh, yeah. We should let me move here. <laughs> But the most, in the you know, I've had different businesses, and the most employees I've ever had at once was sixteen, okay. and that was a nightmare. Mm-hmm. And I'm I came from a class, a background of being a classroom teacher and managing managing different personalities and so forth. But it's different in a workplace because at school, there's like a an ingrained understanding of the of a baseline of rules mm-hmm. or how processes work. But at a business. You got to establish those as the owner of the business. Yeah. And if you don't have them established, and it, it could just kind of start creating chaos. And there's one thing that I learned is this true? Is this a myth? Like, if you have a, a bad mouth employee at your workplace, can they, are they like cancer? Mm-hmm. Can that spread? Is oh, that yeah. real? Yes. Okay. Cause I believe that, but I didn't know if it was like yeah. just folklore. They can destroy your culture, man. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I always wondered about so that. So you experienced that. Yes. Yeah. Actually, the when I would go in, I was the kind of owner where people only knew the manager. They didn't know I was the owner. Mm. And the manager told me we got some uh, this employee in the in the back. Um, I had a manager at the time. Uh, we're still friends. Her name's Margaret, and uh, she's she's a cool person. And um, 
but sorry, I got sidetracked with market. <laughs> but so when I went to the uh, business, I just went in the back and worked like a regular employee, like undercover boss. This dude was talking so much crap. And the thing is, I, my sister was going there. My sister was a partner with me. My sister was going there. My sister goes and identifies as the owner. <laughs> I don't. And we're half-half on at this point with the business. It had changed. We're half-half. This dude was talking so much crap about my sister, talking crap about me. Like, and I heard she has a brother and this guy like, he, and I'm like, I'm sitting there. And, and, and Margaret was like back there looking like, oh my so God. Fun. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So I fired him right there on the spot, you yeah. know? And, and one thing I learned too, like I didn't, I've, I've never been fired from a job. Hmm. So I, I didn't know how to fire someone. So I didn't know you have to cut them, you know, their final check right there on the spot and all these other things. And. Yeah, it's it, it turned into a nightmare a little bit actually yeah. for firing him. So, but yeah. I digress. But that's interesting, man. It, the that so you're kind of like a thought leader that goes into businesses that kind of helps. Oh, do you not like to? <laughs> let me take that back. Did you um, see me bristle? We, yeah, yeah. You're like, ah. <laughs> I, I'm, I prefer more of a entrepreneurial guru. <laughs> I I just have I have uh, yeah. Are, are, am I using too much of um, stereotypical cliche statements? No, not at all, man. I I think that for me, it you know, just to back up, I guess a little bit, is, and to ask the question like, how did I even get here? Um, as far as like being a coach, and um, I don't like thought leader, but it doesn't mean there's anything wrong. It maybe is accurate. I don't know. We'll call you business messiah. We'll just keep oh, it simple. Oh, perfect. We'll keep it simple. I feel way more comfortable with yes. that. Yeah. yeah it's the, more fitting. Yeah, the African one. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, somebody was, yeah, you, you're familiar with The Chosen. The, the, the movie? No, the series. Like the the, 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 the series The Chosen. I think they're on uh, season three now. The story of Jesus and the disciples. And it's like, you've never watched it. No, I've heard about it. Okay, That's it's, why I it was a it's movie. incredible, dude. By the way, and somebody was like, "Man, you know, my son was like, man, I wonder what Jesus actually looked like." And and she looked at me and she's like, "I think it looked like Peter, um, <laughs> only because he's from that part of the world, not because." Anyways, um, <laughs> this went sideways fast. Um, so, anyways, man, I, I think to, to back up, uh, you know, for me, uh, I was trying to dig on. Um, a couple of years ago, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? Yeah. And part of it um, is that I just, I'm able to see the, you know, the connection from A to B for people really quickly. And so because of that, I always found myself in the situation where people were grabbing coffee with me and we could talk through problems and, you know, try to find solutions in their business. I think part of it's my business background. Part of it's that I have an engineering degree. And so my mind just thinks in kind of a weird way where I can see the connections between where you're at and where you need to go. Um, so between that and um, my faith and uh, just ability to communicate, this is how I found myself in a position to be a coach and, and be fairly successful at it so far. And so I don't like the idea of thought leader. It's more so like I feel like I can be this guy that is coming in from the outside and can talk to people and see where there's issues between personalities or within management or within process and, and assist with that. So... Um, whatever that is, that's what I'm good at. Yeah, yeah. What I meant by thought leader, though, just to kind of not yeah. just pound the right way at it, but you you are introducing different ways of thinking. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and I that that's what I meant by like it's it's um, like just some of the concepts like you were just even mentioning earlier, like that you're just kind of looking at it from a different perspective as opposed to like when you said what do you call it? I have nothing to prove. Yeah. 
a lot of entrepreneurs feel they have something to prove. Mm -hmm. Like I could take this business and blow it up, almost like an athlete. Like mm -hmm. if you told a a professional athlete, you have nothing to prove, just go out there and do your best. They're like, no, no, I have something to prove. I'm the greatest <laughs> of all time, you know. Yeah. But it it's but I get what you're saying because that when you're dealing with a uh, a group of people or a or a organization where it has you know different personalities, different things going on, mm -hmm. you got to kind of approach it different, right? Yeah. Well, the thing is, like, just picking at nothing to prove. Um, when you feel like you have something to prove, you'll make decisions way more differently, way differently than you would if you were just thinking about it analytically or if you were thinking about it rationally, right? And so if you felt like you needed to prove this, that a business was that needed to succeed, um, you wouldn't think to yourself for a minute, like, wait a minute, maybe this business shouldn't succeed. Maybe this, yeah. product, maybe this product shouldn't launch, even though I said I was adamantly in agreement with this product launching. And now all the data is proving that this is probably not a product we should launch. But because I need to prove to you that I'm smart and that I make the good decisions, I will maybe push on a product launch, even though it shouldn't launch. Right? Yes. And so those are just the kind of the examples. And then when somebody needs to try to prove that they deserve a seat at the table at an organization they've already been hired on, they might act a certain way where it's like, man, why is Kenny acting like that? You know, yeah. why is he, why is he speaking to people like that? Well, he's, you're trying to pr assert your authority yeah, and prove that you belong in the organization that you've already been hired at. And instead, it's like, no, just do your job, Yeah, you yeah. know, and communicate in a way that's authentic to you. And so, yeah, I mean, thought leader maybe, but more so probably just like introducing ways of thinking, like you said, um, so that you can dig in like I did with my son and figure out like, wait, 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 this, yeah, the situation sucks, but how did we get here? Yeah. <laughs> Why is this even happening? And like, stop, you know, digging in. Like, my mentor used to always say, like, asking why five times. Mm -hmm. The fifth why, the answer to that why is way more interesting than the first one. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? It's like, why didn't you get your homework done? Well, I went surfing today. Okay. Why did you go surfing today? And it's like digging in on that. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, wait a minute. You are an avoider. <laughs> right? You're avoiding doing the hard thing. Oh, wait, you don't like doing the hard thing. And that's the conversation we had last night. I feel sorry for your son. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You're one of those parents where nothing's getting passed. Nothing. You got to filter. Oh, no, bro. Nothing's getting, nothing's getting by. And you're right. And that's why sometimes my wife's like, dude, you got to pick your battles. Like, this is not worth it. Just don't die on this sword. Just, just let that go. You know, so so. you told her, listen, I have something to prove. <laughs> That's right. But there's a, there's something, a statement you said just now that kind of uh, resonates with me. Mm. How did we get here? Right. Um, have you like, there's so many times in my life to, let's apply some of the coaching just to real life. Could you say that you would, you would discuss, you shared how uh, your occupation kind of a little bit of all different types of coaching is kind of a blend, but it's mm -hmm. towards uh, leadership. Mm -hmm. Correct. But there's been times in my life, and I've and, and a lot of lately I've been opening up to a lot of friends, or friends have been opening up to me. And there's people that get like that in their life. Like, how did I get here? Mm -hmm. You know? And it could be um something that's drawn out over a long period of time, like like um I'm no I've actually known people that have been in college. I know someone who went to college full time for like maybe 15 years. Wow. No degrees. Wow. Nothing, not even an AA. That's just, crazy. Yeah, just keeps changing their major and keeps changing things. And now he's like, how did I end up here? Mm -hmm. And then um, I've known other people that have been in relationships and um, any type. It could be a friendship, family bond, whatever. And they're like, something has happened. And like, how did I end up? Something unexpected. 
how did I end up here? Have you ever found yourself in a position like that where you're like, how did I, it, it's happening, but, and you know how you got there, but it's still in your head. Like, how did I, how did, how did this happen? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, countless situations and I'm trying to think of one that would maybe make most sense um, for the show. I mean, when you're asking that question, Kenny, or you're asking about something self-induced or just like a happens- anything, anything, yeah. it could be like a, a medical diagnosis. It could be like, boom, car accident. Like one time I was a car accident on mm-hmm. college. I couldn't walk for six months. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting there like, dude, what? Like, it's so on a dime how your world just flips. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I think there's a couple examples of this. One, I'll talk about my daughter in a minute because that was n- not a self-induced thing, but definitely like one of those moments where you, um, it's, it's kind of like life clarifying, if that's the right phrase, where it's just like it everything becomes in full color and you're like, wait a minute, what? Is, wh- wh- why am I spending my time on these things or, how, you know, how did this... How did I find myself here as far as workload and calendar and all that, all my commitments? And you start start questioning everything, you know, yeah. um, almost a midlife, midlife crisis of sorts maybe. Um, so I'll talk about that one in a second. But I think as it pertains to what we were talking about earlier and how did I get here, um, I do these leadership intensives where I'll spend like up to 12 hours with people one-on-one or in a small group. And what's fascinating to me is that through the exercise, they, I mean, they're coming to me because they're unhappy with their leadership and the way, the trajectory they're on and stuff like that. And we'll talk about their, um, uh, their story and their voice, which is really nature and nurture. And then we'll talk about choice, which is what are you going to do about it? Um, and how it shows up in your life. And what's interesting through that first half of that intensive is you'll start to realize, like, okay, I have not gotten here by accident. Like, this position that I'm in, all the positive and negatives, they're, they they happen through a series of circumstances that were out of your, out of your control. And then there were, they're also um, by habits and knee-jerk reactions and tendencies that have been formed, been informed by your nature, but also your nurture. And... Um, it's not an accident. The trouble is, is that most people don't go through the work to figure those things out. And then they'll feel like, well, these are the cards that I was dealt. This is where I grew up. This is where I live now. This is my skill sets. This is the job that I can get. And it just feels like, you know, life's happening to you. Yeah. And so I think that asking yourself that question, like, how did I get here? And then actually dig it in, kind of like the five whys, right? Or an intensive or whatever it is, some sort of work that you could do to like really peel it back and figure out like, okay, this is how I was brought up. This is how God made me. Now what am I going to do about it? And then learning also that um, we have tendencies. This was actually liberating for me. Um, We have tendencies and typically, you know, you'll say things like, for me, I'll use myself as an example. Man, I wish I was more patient, I wish I was just more patient, Kenny. And then realizing, like, my tendency is to be super freaking impatient. Like, I do everything in a hurry. Eat over the trash can. Like, I just, everything (laughs) is in a rush. That tendency is not going to change. But my actions, my patterns that lead to actions, that lead to consequences that shape my reality, I can can short-circuit that. Yeah. I can feel like, man, 
okay, when I, I am in, an impatient person and then I have this pattern that when someone's talking, I feel like I wish they would just hurry up. Like I wish I could just click on your forehead and give 2X or 3X and like let's speed this thing up. When I feel like that happening, I'm going to then what? I'm going to have a different action. I'm going to take a deep breath. I'm going to remind myself that every interaction is a gift and that I need to be present and in the moment and value this conversation. And I need to ask God, what do you want me to know and what do you want me to do? I need to do these things, right? Yes. So then that action relieves, it creates a new consequence, a positive one, meaning that I'm present. I am clarifying what you're saying, so I'm repeating it back to you so that I know that I heard you right, and I'm asking you what you need from me, how, how I can help you. And then the reality that shapes a much more positive one, deep and meaningful interactions. I'm slowing down and I'm smelling the roses, that sort of thing, right? And so I think that sort of work then allows you to not change your tendencies but create a different reality for yourself despite of the tendencies, despite of the nature and the nurture, right? That's the choice that comes in. So just a little bit of an example, but I think that an example of how did I find myself here that was not self-imposed, right? And as you and I have talked about it before, it was like my daughter's stroke last summer. She's 14 years old. She's acting weird on a Friday, trying to figure out why she's not communicating with us. She's not really sure either. I'm like, oh, she just became a teenager overnight. Like, what do we do about this? Um, That was on a Friday morning. Saturday, she's acting a little bit better, but she's still very sleepy, not really sure what's going on. And then Sunday, we're at church. I'm in, you know, main, you know, adult adult service. She's in middle school uh, service, or maybe it was high school. I can't remember. And her kids, her friends come to me. These kids come to me. And they're like, hey, Windsor's acting weird. And I go and I see her, and she's like stumbling around like a drunk person. And through a series of events, she ends up getting airlifted, right? So we go to urgent care, then we go to ER, and then I'm finding out that she's had a stroke. Even the people in the, in the ER are like, hey, we've never seen this before, right? And I just remember that night leaving the, you know, the PICU. Melissa's there. I'm driving home at 11 p.m. I'm still in my church clothes. And I'm driving down, you know, to the five, and I'm thinking to myself, like, what is this? Am I in a movie? Like, is this, is, this, is this reality? Like, is this happening right now? Like, I'm 11 p.m., I'm driving back, and I'm just like, it felt it felt surreal. Yeah. You know, like, my life just changed, and it was just, like, turned upside down. And, of course, you're thinking all these things, like, oh, my gosh, is she ever going to be normal again? Is she, you know, just going to define her life? Um, is she going to be, in a, you know, in a hospital bed? Or, like, we don't, we don't know. Like, even the doctors don't even know what the heck's going on or what, what the the future looks like. The doctor, head of neuro, is telling me that she's never going to be the same. Like, this is who she is now. Can't speak, can't find her words, barely can communicate. And so that's an, that's an example, Kenny, of like a moment where it's like, you know, is this real? Like, what's happening to me? How did I find myself here? You know? Um, so I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, no, that, that definitely answers my question. Going back to when you found out that when the doctors told you that it was a stroke. Mm-hmm. Because you, like, I'm a parent. Mm-hmm. I, I, how long does, does that, how does that sit in? Mm-hmm. Like, how long does it take, did it, how'd you wrap your head around that? Well, uh, I'll paint it uh, more vividly. This happens at church. Um, we're walking out, and, you know, by now, 
you know, people are hearing through the grapevine, like, oh, something weird happened upstairs in Windsor's, you know. And, the, you know, and, and there's medics on staff, and they they basically ran a battery of tests just right there, and they looked at me like, oh, she's just having, like, a nervous breakdown. You should take her to see a therapist. Is basically what they said. And I'm walking around. I'm like, hey, let's just go. I'm whispering in her ear. I'm like, hey, just hold on to my arm. Um, I'll take you to the car. Let's just go straight to the car. That way it's not. I didn't want her to be embarrassed, you know. Yeah. And I'm noticing that as we get, you know, we're like 100 yards to the car. I'm noticing that her left arm's retracted. And then I start hearing her foot's kind of scraping on the ground. And I'm like, hey, are you having a hard time walking? She can, like, barely get any words out. So we take her to, to urgent care. Urgent care thinks she's had like a, a, a seizure, like she's got Bell's palsy or something because her left side's all, you know, not working right. Take her to the ER, and then I can't go in because it's COVID protocol, only one parent. And so Melissa goes in, and I'm outside for three hours. I end up going to get gas and just trying to keep myself busy. I go to get some food I can't even eat. And then she texts me, and she's like, hey, doctor just said we're about to get news, and it's not good. So then they, they say, you can come in. So I come in. Oh, my God. I can't even imagine that. Oh. Well, and if, you know what the kicker was, Kenny? I can laugh about it now. I read, doctor said, we're about to get news, and it's good. And I'm like, oh, thank God, it's good. Okay, it's good news. <sighs> and then I look at it again. I'm like, it said not good. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm an idiot. So I go in there, and she's getting strapped into a gurney. She's about to get airlifted. So I'm seeing this. Neuro comes over, and he's like, hey, so just so you know, this is what we figured out. She's had a stroke. And I'm thinking, stroke? Strokes for old people. Like, what? Stroke? You know, so, so I'm like, what? What? Why? And um, and he's like, you know, in just like typical no bedside manner, manner fashion, he's like, so do you have any questions for me before she gets airlifted? And I go, yeah, what's like, what's recovery protocol? He's like, oh, there's no recovery. Mm. And dude, cause I go from zero to 11, I got no in between, you know, my buddy Tony says I have no, my dimmer switch is broken. I got nothing in between. I'm cool until I'm not. Okay. Yeah. I backed up from him like five steps because I felt myself like I'm going to freaking kill this guy. Like literally I'm going to choke you to death in this ER right now. Like when he said that to me, so I backed up from him and I didn't say anything. And so the nurse comes over. She's like, hey, she's about to get airlifted. You can go ahead and leave. And um, I'm, we get, Melissa and I get in the car because we can't get in the helicopter with her. And I'm going like 120 in a minivan down the five. And Melissa's like, what? Slow down. What are you doing? Why are you so mad? And I'm like, F this guy. I cannot believe you just said that to me to my face. Like, he just found out five minutes before me, right? Like, what does he know? And plus, this is such a rare thing. Like, they don't know what... And, I mean, and he's not a neurologist. No, he was head of neuro. Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Strike that. Strike that for the record, Your Honor. No, oh, he's head of neuro. crap. That would have made me... That would have made it worse for me. Oh, dude, I was, like, losing my mind. I thought it was mind. just an ER physician. No, it was... The funny thing was, it. you know, the... You know, so we're... So we go from, you know, Mission Viejo to Orange. This is, like, you know, 30 minutes for the people that don't know the area. And... um the next day, because it was a holiday weekend, it was July 3rd when she got airlifted, um, she gets this triple MRI scan on the 4th of July, and then the nurse comes in and says, hey, um, doctor's here to read the results to you. Well, I walk out of the room, and who is it? It's this guy. Cause he's, no. He's filling in, yeah. <laughs> and he, uh, 
he looks. I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh. Oh, dude, it was comical. Looking back, it's comical. I walk out and he look looks at me like, oh shit. <laughs> it's so. He puts his hand out like this, and he's like, hey. Hey man, um, before we before we review the results, I need to address what I said yesterday. And he apologized. He's okay. like, he's like, honestly, we don't know. There's like almost no data on this. She could Thank recover. You. Thank you. So it was good. He, he redeemed himself, and uh, I still didn't like him, but it's fine. Um, so I, you know, is trying to process the information is impossible. Like I feel like I had no data, and um, they didn't, they didn't even know what to do. You know, she, what was cool is that because it was such a weird freak occurrence that she had a lot of attention in the ICU and um you know they're coming in from all over like she's like a lab rat because they've never seen it before and because of that she got more attention um and now she's fully healed thank god but nothing that they did they kept her you know from having another stroke um and we learned what it was but they didn't they didn't help us outside of that you know um so that that's rapid. So that's all like within a 24-hour period, I'm assuming, correct? Yeah. I mean, so Friday we started having weird sort of indications of symptoms, but she just seemed withdrawn. Um, and Saturday she's fine, but su- it was Sunday where it was like, wait a minute, like her left side's not working and she's stumbling around. This is She can't, like she has no words at all now, you know. Um, so that was the timeline. And then by, you know, that was at, you know, 11, 11 a.m. and by... You know, 2 p.m., we knew what it was. Wow. I'm pretty sure that that, that um, had to change of perspective. Like, it, I'm thinking back, there was a time where um, my sister had a boyfriend, um, and uh, her boyfriend had two children, hmm. had, had these two kids, and he was divorced, you know, visitation, whatever the situation was, and my son would hang out with them a lot. And I remember one time, um, at the, at this point, my son was in, Seventh grade, seventh grade of school, there was a mix-up um, with uh, my because my, this is how okay there was a mix-up. I'm trying to tell the story so it makes sense. I don't want to. I have a habit of telling a story sometimes, and I go, "Oh yeah, I left that apart," and it's like very important. Okay, so my son hangs out with his kids. Like this guy was very close to us, mm-hmm. so my uh, all of our kids hung out. And I think the girl was like in ninth grade. My son was in seventh. He had a big crush on her, you know, their that stuff. And then they had a he also had a son that was in tenth grade. And um, those kids were in a car accident, mm. right? A really bad one. They didn't survive. Mm. And this is on a school day. The kids were just, um, I, I, it's a long story. It was a very bad situation where that the, the kids weren't ident- couldn't be identified. So the coroner's office had called. Uh, this is um, San Bernardino County coroner's office had called. And they were just digging through IDs and stuff, whatever's in the car. So they call there. And um, end up calling my sister, and calling my sister and her boyfriend. Um, they didn't live together, but just the contact info. They're trying to piece together the puzzle. Due to some kind of mix up, I get a call. Oh my gosh! And they're like, "Hey, um, this is San Bernardino County Coroner's Office. Uh, there's been an accident. We need you to uh, um, come down or whatever." And there was this mix up, and they basically, um, I was told, you know, there's a my son was in an accident and I need to come down to the coroner's office. Oh my gosh. And I remember I had a full blown anxiety attack. Like I couldn't, my chest hurt. I was just out of it. My, at the time I was married, my wife had to take over the call and then to get a call back. It was just a, they got it straightened out, you know? And for that little period of time, I don't know how long it was. I don't know if it was seven minutes or 30 minutes between the mix up. Yeah. Thinking my son was gone for mm-hmm. that time. 
It was horrible. It, yeah. it, 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 even after I found out he was okay, it caused a shift mm-hmm. in my view of like when my son came home from school that day, Tim was a normal day at school. Yeah. I was like, Oh, I love you. Like I'm hugging him and this and that. I mean, we're, I actually started doing, we already did a lot of things together. We did more, Yeah. you know, and it kind of, it, it, it gave me a shift, you know, did you experience that? Um, after this, uh, health scare with your daughter? Yeah. <clears throat> I think that, you know, for me, I, I called it a life clarifying moment earlier. And I feel like I've had several of these in my life where it's like, you know, my wife's uncle passed away and we weren't really close to him, but it, you know, it was one of these things where he had postponed his life. So he's like, Oh, when I retire, when I retire, I'm going to, when I retire. And then you never get to retire. He died. Um, well, my wife's, you know, amazing. My my, my wife's um, mother, so my mother-in-law passed away very young. That moment and this moment, I call them life clarifying because it's like everything comes out in th- three, it's like in hi-fi, high fidelity, full mm-hmm. color, three-dimensional, right? Like whatever you want to call it, where 4K. it's like we'll call it 4K, 4K yeah. bro, right? Where it's like, dude, what am I doing? What am I doing with my life? Yeah. How am I spending my time? Like, these kids could just disappear and what like you're talking about, right? These kids passed away in a car, right? Mm-hmm. Would I be like, oh, um, all the times I didn't have time to spend with them, I was working on this project. This project sucks. I don't even like this project, right? Or yeah. this business or this activity, right? And so for me, it was not only that, what you're mentioning, Kenny, but also I started questioning, like, everything I was working on. Because I'm like, I am trading time with my kids for these things. Are they even worth it? Yeah. Is it, is it, is it a worthy endeavor? Um, and so for me, it was about spending time with the kids and appreciating the time with the kids. And then on top of that, it's like the, the time that I'm trading, I've been talking to the kids a lot about life credits. Um, and I don't remember where I got this idea. It's not mine, but we are trading all these credits, right? You got 24 hours in the day, right? So if you thought of them as life credits, or if you had a life, like a life debit card and you had to swipe it every time you went somewhere and you're like cashing in these credits and you can never refill them, would you be happy in how you spent it? Would I be happy that I didn't spend that last day with my kid because I was working on this project? I don't think so. Yeah. Probably not. And so I think if we're thinking about that ahead of time, then we can be more proactive about it. So you don't have to have this awful gut-wrenching 30 minutes of hell in order to bring you back into focus and realize like, oh my gosh, I need to appreciate my kids more. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so one of the experiments that I used to go through, not experiments, exercises, is called negative visualization. And a lot of people hate this idea. I haven't done it in a little while. I should probably start doing it again. You actually envision some of the worst things possible happening to you or loved ones. Okay, I see why people don't want to do that. Okay. <laughs> and I would actually do it. I would do it in the You're morning. A horrible salesman. Of I this know. Concept. I would. I would do it in the morning, Kenny. I would envision like my kid with no hair because he's going through cancer treatment, or my wife, or myself, or yeah. a family member. And the reason that is so powerful, it's like, wait a minute. First of all, I need to appreciate what I'm leaving them for. This life credits that I'm cashing in today. I need to appreciate them, the time that I have with them, because it could be gone tomorrow, right? Mm -hmm. And also, any problem that I am going to run into today and face today, no big deal. Ain't nothing. I think I'm on my friends that have lost children, right, to cancer and other things, right? It's like, dude, 
they would take all of my problems times 1,000 to bring that kid back. So what the hell am I complaining about? Anything yeah. that I'm going to anything that I'm going to run into today ain't shit compared to that what they experienced. Yeah. That's that's deep, man. That's no. that's absolutely true. Um uh an interesting thing that the tie in is that um we were very close to these kids mm. and um my sister had a real tough time processing it. You know, everyone all of us were mourning, but my sister had a real tough time and she had contacted a friend of hers, a good friend of hers that was born and raised in Ethiopia, but she lives here now. And she was talking to her about like, like, how do you deal with this? You know, because, and, and her friend from Ethiopia was explaining that we mourn, but we mourn, but we expect death. We expect it. That's so in Ethiopia, mm. death is a part of it. Children dying. That's when you have kids because you're in a country that's has so much poverty or just not as good medical system or whatever's going on. Yeah. Um, because they came from, you know, not the Beverly Hills of Ethiopia, but you know, yeah. just the whatever. And she was like, we mourn, but we, death is a part of life. Like she had a totally different perspective than us in America where it's like, it's life shattering, you know? Yeah. It's like that, that, that sometimes ends people's desire to even want to, you know, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just it's a it's world ending to some yeah. people, but to her, she just kind of like it's it's a part of life, and we celebrate the moments we had with them. And it was just it's interesting the um, the different views. But if if I had that Ethiopian mindset from the beginning, I wouldn't that my going through that with that situation with my son, it wouldn't have been a boost. I'd have been doing that already. I would already been having a what do you call it? Perspective, not a perspective shift, a clarity. Life clarifying moment. Life clarifying moment. It would that have been like that at the beginning. If you live in that kind of pocket mm-hmm. of realizing, or like you say, waking up and thinking of the negatives. Yeah. They realize like any, they could be a you know you're out there. I mean anything could happen to you. Mm-hmm. And but I guess in, I guess in our culture we're kind of, um, uh, you know, we don't think that way. Our we're, kids are getting s- old. Well, we're soft, man. We're soft, and that's okay. It's good. Like we don't want the alternative. We're just it's just not part of our everyday experience you know yeah yeah and i i don't know how well this ties in but when you're talking about soft i i'm thinking about i i watch a lot of documentaries and there's one on the funeral the funeral industry Mm. (laughs) and uh, just the history yeah and um i i I saw it i was like you know i'm pretty curious what's what's the deal with this right that's a modern creation the funeral industry Hmm. before when someone would pass away you would keep the body in the house like the in your house is called the parlor room do you, you remember the old house they would call mm-hmm. it, oh, this is the parlor room? That's where you put the dead. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's where you have funeral parlor. Oh. It, yeah, so it's the parlor room. And they would be there, and the family would mourn with the person there, and um, the funeral director would come over, the mortician, and handle everything in the house. Oh. And um, over time, as the funeral industry expanded, when someone would die, instead of sending the, the dead body to your house, the funeral people like, hey, we'll make it easy for you to send it to the funeral parlor. Hmm. And um, we'll handle everything. Now it's to the point when someone dies, we don't want really want to see them no. at all because I don't know if this is a soft, but it just kind of got ingrained into our culture. And um, they went from calling it the parlor room to what the living room. Oh, that's and so they, interesting. Yeah, that's a whole uh, kind of marketing thing, but it's um, that's where it comes from. But I've noticed one thing in the documentary they pointed out that people don't handle death well anymore. Hmm. You know, because then actually when the mortician would come back in the day, even the 1800s, the family would help. No way. Yeah. 
and not anymore, but I'm half Filipino. And, I, and in the Philippines, when someone dies, they, they still um, bring the body to the house. And like, um, I actually had a friend of mine who's a pastor. And when I was younger, uh, for a little while when I was younger, I went to seminary and uh, decided to be a pastor, but he was already a pastor. And he had to go do a funeral in um, San Francisco, but this was a family completely Filipino, 100%, came here as adults. And so he went to their house. He's thinking, oh, I'm going to go pray with the house, and we're going to go to the thing. <laughs> Dead bodies right no there. No way. He said, yeah, they're eating. There's a dinner table. Bodies right there at the end. <laughs> <laughs> and he said he was like, I have much of an appetite. <laughs> you know, but, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily being soft. But yeah. that's part of, uh, um, I guess, how you're saying, like, the change of our culture because of whatever the different elements yeah. that have caused us to change. Well, I think, too, you know, it's like, you know, if you have faith, it's it's sad. You lose that relationship. You lose the physical relationship with that person, them being around. But if you have faith, it's like, wait, they're in heaven. Like, this is like a, re- a rejoicing moment, right? Mm-hmm. A friend of mine was like, man, why are you sad for her? She's in heaven. You're sad for yourself because you lost that relationship, but she gets to be pain-free living in heaven with Jesus, right? Yeah. Um, And so a moment of celebration, but also, yeah, we're completely removed from the body, man. You know, so it's funny, you know, we can laugh about it now, but like Melissa's mom passed away like 11 years ago, and um, she was on hospice, so she was in the house. And, you know, within like an hour, they're they're there, funeral homes there to pick up the body. To make that money, yeah. And my brother in law, who's freaking hilarious, he leans over, he goes, Some sick efforts in this business. Like, who are these people? Like, you just show up at some random person's house, you know, pick up the dead body, put it in a car, and drive it somewhere. Like, this is weird, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, what a weird job. <laughs> oh, wait. oh, you may forget what I was thinking. Um, <laughs> um, well, two things one about Jesus. Hmm. When he died, wasn't it his mother who says I, to go pick up, retrieve yeah. his body? Yes. Could you imagine that? No. No. Like, that's how removed we are. We, yeah. we, if it was modern days, uh, yeah, the funeral home went to go pick up Jesus after the cross and yeah. took him. But that's his mom, and she cleaned him, right? Yeah. And got him ready for burial. And yeah. that's how it's, it's been until the, the funeral industry got involved. But an interesting thing, I had a friend of mine a few years back, um, he remained nameless, uh, but his his uh he he had taken his own life, mm. um, and I think you know who it is. I mm-hmm. think it was, yeah, and I the the funeral company they just weren't prepared for the location of the funeral, mm. so I ended up helping them, which okay. I've never done before. But it just, no one else there was in the position to help. Everyone was pretty emotionally distraught. Yeah, I was emotionally distraught, but I was like, I'll, I'll step in here. But during this time, as we're waiting, they brought like. Like, because the funeral was at a place that's kind of dirt roadish. It's a um, it's designed for weddings, <laughs> and yeah. so it's not designed for funerals and stuff. But as I was sitting there, um, there's an old man there, and I'm like, this guy can't move. This guy can't move weight. You know, like he shouldn't be doing this. But he he was helping, and actually, he was helping another guy. Basically, the two guys they're not a good team. They can't move. They they couldn't do the job. That's why they. These are me. both the guys from the funeral home. From the funeral home. Is this like the the C team? Did you guys get a deal? Yes, it was the C team. And I, I don't know if they got a deal, but maybe someone was sick. Sorry. <laughs> someone was sick. Did and, you use a coupon? Yeah, a coupon. <laughs> um, 
But I remember I sat there with the guy, one of the guys there, and he goes, I normally don't do this. I'm I'm one of the morticians who oh. prepares the body. I normally don't go to the funerals. The, the attendee, I go, oh, okay. So me being me, I had to start interviewing him right yeah. there on this file. So I said, how did you get into this? He goes, actually, uh, I, I used to work in the automotive industry and auto repair for, and this guy's probably maybe 60. Okay. He goes, I've only been doing this for about um, uh, whatever amount of years. He had a kid late in life, and he said that uh, his son died, mm. had taken his own life, mm. and that he uh, saw his son and um, just, and you know, they went to the funeral home and all the, you know, the whole process happened. And he said, for some reason, just the curiosity of like, the people were so nice to him at the funeral home and how they handled everything. It drew him into the industry. Hmm. He said he switched over and became a um, a uh, um, mortician. Mortician, and I was like, "Wow, is that how most people get into?" He goes, "I don't think so, but and because I thought I think the same thing because your workplace. Would you agree? Your workplace is uh, basically your second family. That's hmm. where you spend most of your time, right? Yeah. And you, I mean, the uh, the walls, the Everything it could affect your health if there's asbestos. I mean, just everything—the people, the 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 gossip—just everything is part of your world, right? Yeah. But at a funeral home, you're just surrounded by dead people and other morticians. Like to me, I always thought, like, what, what? Get, I thought the same thing. What kind of person does that? I mean, obviously, it's a job that not a—you have to be called to do. Mm-hmm. You know, like your kind of thing to do. You know, I've seen morticians. You know, before when. Um, I used to work as a teacher. We had to do these career days and people would come and they'd set up their table and they'd bring the tools <laughs> to show them. And there was always some emo kids. They were like, yeah, that's us, right? You know, it was always the emo kids. No offense to emos. Don't come stalking me. But they're, you know, they're like, what does this do? Oh, that's what we do to scrape this out. Or Gross. This. And I'm like, oh yeah, and we, we use this, to, we put it in here to weigh it. And and I actually saw a uh, one that really impressed me was a military mortician hmm. they have military morticians you know they actually go out like say when there's a war in iraq yeah. they're in iraq and they set up a, a, a mortuary dude so that's when you know it's heavy where could you imagine let's think day one of the iraq war or afghanistan war that yeah. was the first one after 9 11 right mm-hmm. you're packing everything up and you're looking and say you're a pilot and you're looking they're packing in the mobile mortuary you're like they know there's going to be death. Yeah. Like that is pretty heavy. Heavy. And, and this guy's just dealing with the most grotesque type of in human injuries that you could see. And he's probably dealing with thousands of them. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I don't mean to get too dark on that. My mind goes there sometimes. Yeah. But yeah, you got to be a special person. Yeah. You got to be. Uh, or weird. Yes. I think there's <laughs> definitely some weird in there. You, you can't, you can't 10 day to eight hour a day, five days a week or 12 hour shift all day just cutting open people and yeah. just be like, your jobs affects you, right? It has to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, there's definitely, I think, you know, I'm, I'm being stupid, but I think that there's, <laughs> there's gotta be some sort of calling, right? That's what I'm thinking. I yeah. mean, I see it right up there with anything medical. It's like, I mean, it's pretty gross, right? I mean, pretty, I mean. Oh, I like pimple popping. Dr. Pimple Pop. Oh, okay. Have you seen that one? No. Oh, go to go to YouTube or Instagram. No, I don't dude. want. I don't want to see that. No, just getting the bumps out. You don't like that? <laughs> no. Oh, dude, there's something, <laughs> something satisfying about that. Yeah, but other things, no. Yeah, yeah. no, it's gross, man. Or a proctologist or whatever, man. I mean, just like 
You have to have <laughs> some sort of like like this guy had a connection, right? He had a connection through his son's like really you know kind of t- terrible story, but he got drawn into the industry and he felt called to it. Or I don't know, you know, one I, of these days, yeah, the universe, God, mm-hmm. is going to call you. No, to I rebuke these words. No, whatever no, they are. <laughs> no, it's going to call you to. Um, Provide your services, your leadership services for a march. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> and you're going to be in there. Okay, listen, guys. We got to get these bodies going, baby. You like McDonald's. We got to. We got to. <laughs> They're like, what's it like to be on the other side of you? I don't know. Like, everybody's dead around uh, me. Yeah. No one really complains. Nobody says anything. I don't know yeah. what it is. They're very quiet about it. <laughs> Surveys not filled out. Um, yeah. But, but yeah. go ahead. But back to, back to this, like, back. yeah, but the business or work affecting you. Is that what you're going to go back to? Well, no, I was going to mention, I was going to go back to your daughter, but I was yeah. the work affecting you because I was thinking I've worked different jobs and different jobs have affected my mental health. Mm-hmm. And they don't even have to be bad jobs. Yeah. I worked at McDonald's when, for a week when I, when my son was uh, probably like a few months old. I was like, dude, let me just get a job. I got I remember just flipping patties mm-hmm. and I realized I'm not built for this. Yeah. They're like, yeah, yeah, don't put cheese on the, you got it. And that's just, then I upgraded the Taco Bell because mm. my friend's mom was yes. like, it's not the same. It's different. You don't got to do. I was washing dishes of caked on beans mm-hmm. eight hours a day mm. for a minimum wage. A minimum wage back then was four twenty five. Same. Remember the, okay, yeah. yeah. And I realized I can't do these things. I actually got into sales where the harder I worked, the more I could get paid. Mm-hmm. But it affects your mental health. And I was thinking, if I worked at a mortuary, I can't imagine what that would do to me mentally, you know, just being in there. And, you know, not everyone's coming in perfect with their arms crossed and eyes shut. Yeah. You're getting car accidents. But to get off of that, <laughs> bringing, it back to your, bringing it back to your daughter. Okay. Prognosis was bad. Mm-hmm. But he took it back and said, went to unknown. So that's yeah. an up. I, I would take an unknown over bad. 100%. Yeah. That's like winning the lottery. Yes. Because there's hope. Mm-hmm. How did she recover? What happened? Mm-hmm. What did we do? Yeah, what did you do? What did you guys do? Well, I, you know, probably best parents uh, from Melissa and I to for this to happen to, because I'm like, I will not take your BS, like, answers. Um, Screw and, you and your science. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's, yeah, totally. <laughs> and it's, it's not one of these things where it's like, I got, like, a total disdain for the hospitals or anything, or doctors or anything like that. I more so as like you, you know, I take it on as a challenge. Like, oh, really? No recovery? Okay, let's see. Okay. We'll see about that. Yeah. Um, and and I'm like the guys like turning over every rock, and so is my wife. And so got connected to a mutual friend who then connected us to one of his friends, and just went down the rabbit hole of brain injury recovery, um, anything on the fringes for stroke recovery and stuff like that. And so she ended up doing sixty hyperbaric treatments. Um, lots of red light therapy, lots of nutritional workup, um, hair samples, like all kinds of stuff just to see like, you know, how can we combat this from every angle while also doing what the hospital told us to do. And so we did all the things, man, um, getting brain scans at, at, you know, where we're getting the hyperbaric treatments at, um, and then going down that path and seeing her recover. They do brain scans there? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I need one. Yeah. Okay. She's at three. I'm serious. She got three. They're amazing. We got more data from that than the $25,000 MRI she was getting. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Okay. Yeah. Incredible facilitator there. So we can put links to the, in the show notes or whatever if you want to link out to it. But 
Um, yeah. Can you name what's the name of this? It's place? called well, it's called the training lab, which okay. you know the yeah. training lab, and then um, the brain scan is called a Wavi, W A V E, and it looks like something out of um, the first Back to the Future when Doc Brown comes out of the house when. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? When Marty <laughs> yeah. knocks yeah. on his door and he comes out. It's like, you know, when they're in the 50s or whatever. Wait, it looks like that. Real quick, training lab. Yeah. It's not spelled like the regular training lab. T-R-E-I-G-N-I-N-G. Right? So train with, this actually has the word rain in it. R-E-I-G-N in their middle. Okay. Yep. Okay. Uh, Sorry, Coach Cal, legend. You know him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I didn't know he had that because I seriously well, need a he brain doesn't scan. do the he doesn't do the brain scans. He brings in the dude who I don't know. You know the so it's like the big Lebowski. He's the dude that knows the dude. Yes. Okay. Yes, sir. It's just like yeah, and he's a big guy, so he could be. You could call him Big Lebowski, like an old <laughs> version of him with no hair. Um, his name is Mark, I think. I can't remember, but um, incredible guy, and you get a ton of data, and so that's how we were able to track her brain recovery. And it, you know, lined up with what the doctors were saying, and then it lined up with what we were seeing in real life, which is her getting her words back and being able to like fully function on both sides of her body. Okay, and all that. so when she came out the hospital before this, yeah, with the stroke, no, her words were her. She was impaired. She was. She, you'd ask her a question. It would take several seconds for her to respond, and then you get a one-word answer, like she couldn't find her words. Does she remember this time? Yeah. What does she say it's like? Here's, here's what's crazy. This is what's driving me nuts. I was like, her name's Windsor. I'm like, Windsor, why didn't you say, like, hey, I don't, I feel weird, or I can't find my words, or anything like that. She's like, you know, I thought it felt strange, but I thought it was just, I just was, like, she. I think she they maybe thought she was having a nervous breakdown, or she was just having, like, a teenage moment. She didn't think anything of it. Because we were... Kind of like, like that story where I told you happened to me earlier, where yeah. I was like... Something's wrong. With Something's me. wrong. But she's like, didn't know what. I'm like, why didn't you say like, hey, I can't find my words. I feel weird because what where I went back was like, man, I would have, and I wanted to take her to the hospital on Friday because I'm like, this is not my daughter. Something's weird here. And Melissa had had more backstory and, and information. She's like, no, we just had an argument last night. I wasn't there for for it, and um, we just had a disagreement. And it's it's okay. She's working through it. You don't know what it's like to be a girl, basically, right? Which I don't. Um, and so um, so anyways. Um, so that's what bothered me the whole time was like, man, if on Friday we would have taken her, we could have like maybe skipped a lot of this you know, pain. Um, but anyways, so she was, uh, so we're like looking through her text messages and stuff as she's in the hospital, like, man, was there any indication? And she was texting people saying, hey, I'm not going to be uh, talking too much today when you see me. I'm having a hard time finding my words. So she knew that, but she didn't know it was a thing or she didn't know I it get meant that. anything, which doctors now, you know, afterwards, I'm like beating myself up about it. They're like, Peter, this is not even on our radar. We do this for a living. Don't worry about it. Dude, to tie it into a conversation you I had, you and I had prior to recording, remember yeah. I was saying like, I've been through a lot of therapy through my life. Mm -hmm. That's the only way I knew that there was something wrong, but I still didn't know what was wrong. Yeah. Like if I didn't have all the therapy, I'd have been like, huh. <laughs> and I just keep going, but it just would have just the you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you would be like, I'm just having a bad day. Yeah, or it's it's so unidentifiable. Yeah. It's almost like someone telling you, like, just on a side note, and we'll, we'll get back. It's like true story. When I was going through my um, when my body flipped out, mm -hmm. you know, and I was having those problems, I ended up in the ER again, the hospital again. Um, my body started shutting down, mm. and I went blind. I don't know wow. if I told you that. No. Yeah. Only for like two hours. Oh, my gosh. Right? But I thought I was – yeah. And we called the same person, the person that helped you. I called him because 
my only family, my sister was was in the Philippines mm -hmm. visiting family. It's a long story why I didn't end up going. I was like, hey, if something happens to me, the uh, you know, whatever. It's it's a long story. How I it took a long time to even get nine one one because I was blind. <laughs> so, but the ambulance wow. got there, but uh, uh, because and the reason why I went blind is because your body starts shut when your body thinks it's dying. It starts yeah. shutting down non essentials. Yeah, this is all you want blood flow around your brain. And around your what around your organs, really? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it shut down my eyes. That's Unreal. how bad my body got. Unreal. It shut the eyes off. Wow. But when you're blind like that, I, you don't see anything. Like people, like I was trying to explain it to my sister. No, there's no black. There's no input. You know, she goes, "What do you mean?" It's like, Shh. I go, "No, that's the input. Anything's an input. It's like someone trying to ask you describe complete silence. There is no description because there's no input." Mm -hmm. I said that was like like my eyes were off. There was no color. Mm. It, black is a color. And I didn't know what it was. Like, I was like, where's my front wait, Where am I? Like, I, could, wow. I couldn't figure anything out. And so I'm saying that to say this, like, with, with your daughter, I, I get it. She's probably like, I know this is weird. And I'm having problems bringing my words, but I don't know what this is. So I'm yeah. just going to keep it moving. Yeah. You know? That's what she did. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a good sign of resilience. Oh, you dude. know, she wasn't like, oh my god, like divaing out. Kenny, yeah. she, you know, she had more blood drawn. I couldn't even watch. Right, I hate medical stuff anyway. So, especially I'm like, when it's your kid, though. Oh, and it's like they're drawing blood, like, like it's free. See, like, I'm connecting the dots with you and the doctor. The oh, blood draws, bro. I'm putting it together. We're dude, gonna have to talk, bro. We <laughs> had a, we had three out of our kids were born in at the house. They were weird, and then um, I got a tub for the last one. It was a mistake, and I almost passed out. I almost passed out. And, dude, I had so much David Goggins talk. I didn't even know David Goggins at the time, but I had David Goggins in my ear. I just didn't know that his name. Being like, dude, you better not you better not pass out in this water, you little you know, wuss. You're like, God was going to pass out. Mm -hmm. My wife's giving birth. I'm not doing anything. And I'm the one that's going to pass out. But, but anyways, it was, it was ridiculous, dude. You were talking about how you said earlier, you're like, I didn't know if it was like two minutes or 30 minutes. I, I almost pass out. We're doing like a debrief with the with the midwife two days later, and she's like, "Peter, did you have any questions?" I'm like, "Yeah, I do actually." There was this moment you probably didn't notice, but I was like about to pass out, and she's like, you, "Oh," <laughs> she goes, "Peter, we were all watching you." I go, "What do you mean?" She's like, "We we noticed, like we were all like, oh, you better keep an eye on him. He's about to go under." And I go, "She's like, well, what is your question?" I was like, "Well, I just want to know how long it was." She's like, "Well, how long do you think it was?" I was like, "It's like 45 minutes, like 45 minutes." I was like seeing spots, and she's like, "Peter." It was two minutes. <laughs> it felt like forever. Anyways, I don't know so, how we so, got so here. Resilience. You, yeah, resilience. <laughs> so your daughter didn't get it from you. I don't have any. Uh, that's that's basically it. No, dude, she had all his blood taken. I'm glad you brought it back. I couldn't remember. Um, um, I don't his blood drawn, but one of the things she had to get done was a spinal tap. Oh. And they were like, hey, you know, oh, you ate already? So it'll be in nine hours. And so that's going to put you at like a Wednesday with, you know, um, uh, you know, what's it called when they um, when they take send you out of the hospital? Outpatient? No, no. Dismissal? No. Discharge? Discharge. That's it. And uh, she's like, we could do it now, but, you know, we don't recommend it because then we can't do, we can't do, we can't put you under or whatever. And my daughter's like, oh, just do it right now. Mm. So she got, she, got, she said, Dad, step out. Yeah. Yeah. And they did a spinal tap like that right there. And so, dude, there were nurses from other floors coming up. be like, hey, are you the girl? Are you the girl that got a spinal tap with, without going under? She's like, yeah. This, this kid, dude, resilient. 
Yeah. Just yeah. powerful. I get it. Incredible. Get it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just just to try to here's resilience. And I um this this is resilience, dude. On myself, a little low-key brag here, but you know when I got my knee reconstruction surgery? Yeah. I had my meniscus, torn meniscus and all the ligaments around it, mm -hmm. right? I had my ACL, it's now replaced with a cadaver, you know, from a dead person. Yeah. Their eight, their uh, Achilles tendon is my ACL. And then I have all this other stuff just mm. kind of put in there. Gross. I'm so scared of drug addiction because I run so high in my family. I said, listen, I told the doctor, don't give me any painkillers. So <laughs> once I wake up... <laughs> Dude, not Get, me. Let me, let me, I'll just take it. And the doctor goes, I understand. It's going to hurt. I said, yeah. And he goes, it can be done, you know, because like, um, like when people go to war, they might get a limb blown off a real bad injury. They'll just take it until there's help, mm. you know, but your body will naturally uh, reduce, uh, send painkillers there. Mm -hmm. And I did a full knee reconstruction surgery, no painkiller. But crazy. I'm not going to lie. When the when the um, they put this thing called a something blocker, a beta blocker, which uh, you couldn't feel anything when that wore off from the surgery, mm -hmm. I did yell out like a war movie, like ah, like the pain. I sweat, but after about thirty minutes of that, tolerable. Like the pain level literally went down. My body goes, oh okay, no drugs. We will we will uh, we'll handle wow. it. Wow. And yeah, no drugs. Dude. That's so, crazy. Yeah. So your dad and I were. What I'm telling you is that. You're both we're both we're, we're, we're cut from a different fabric than you. For sure. You know, you're a millennial. Dude, give you know, me you know ibuprofen. No, no, we could say um you could you know like how people are transgender, they identify. You can identify as a millennial. That's sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I'll yeah. take it. <laughs> no. Yeah, I'm like, my head hurts, babe. Give me an ibuprofen. She's like, You're such a wuss, dude. And we're X, right? I don't know, man. What what year are you born? Seventy six. I'm eighty. I think I'm the first year. Technically, millennials started in 80 or 81. I can't remember. Oh, really? You're born in 80? Yeah. Crap, dude. You seem so wise. Like, you seem like you're old. No, I'm serious. Like, just... <laughs> no, I'm serious. You seem wise. Like, 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 like you've... Uh, what you're trying to say is, that, dude, you got a lot of gray. Are you sure? No. No, <laughs> no just talking. I've, I've, I've heard you talk even at the men's group thing. Yeah. And it's very wise. Like, you sound oh. like someone who's older. Thank you. You know? I'm, I'm pretty it. sure you've heard that before. I Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you, you seem wise. But I think I'm Generation X. But you okay. can, you, you, your daughter, she, you could say she identifies as Gen X. She's, she's been through it, dude. Been through it, bro. Yeah. She's tough. Yeah. You, millennial. Millennial. So, 100%. Yeah. Whatever the weakest one is. I think the one now, I think it's Z, right? Weak. Weak. Yeah. Yeah. No offense, Zs. Yeah. But no, yeah. No, take offense. They're going to take, take offense, offense anyways. Yeah. yeah. This is going to get chopped up on social media and then yeah. I'm going to get attacked over it. Do it. <laughs> But going back, so your daughter, going back to your daughter, so I, I just want to follow this recovery. So yeah. she she got the brain scans and, wait, not the part, I'm sorry, going back to that question, not the part where, where she was showing the symptoms. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about after she came out of, after the stroke, between the stroke and getting the treatment at the training lab, mm -hmm. she was still having problems bringing words, right? Mm -hmm. Does she remember that phase? She remembers... Um all of it. And what's crazy is that when I talked to her about it, I'm like, hey, well, what are you, th like, what, were you scared or what? She's, nothing. Nothing, dude. She's like, get away from me, weakling. Dude. And she talks to you. Nothing. It's crazy. I'm like, we just got some potentially really, really good news because now we've gone down a different path for prevention. Now that she's healed, we're like, all right, how do we prevent this from happening again? Um, because medicine has literally no answers. It's crazy. Um because it just fixed symptoms. It doesn't really fix the root. Well, they, yeah. And they're having, they had a hard time tracking it down. And when they did, they're like, well, we don't know why. So 
And I was like, well, can you do? They're like, no, we don't do any of that stuff for pediatric patients. We don't want old people. And so we went down another route and got some potentially really, really good news. I was like, so what did you think? This could be some really good news. She's like, meh. Doesn't care. It's crazy. And I don't know if it's unhealthy or not. <laughs> like for me, I'm like excited. She's like, eh, I don't know. I mean, yeah. Okay. She's like, bring it all day. Whatever. I'm unstoppable. Yeah. Incredible. That's. That did she ever? Because I've been to the training lab once. I didn't know they had all those things in there. Mm. I went there to try to heal my knee for the hyperbaric. Yeah, pointing out just once I went. Okay. Did your daughter ever go into the hyperbaric the steel one? She went. She used all of them. Dude, she knew all the fighters, bro. Like, <laughs> you name them, whoever. Like they're most famous guys that are there. She she met all of them. Oh wow, no big okay. deal to her. I'm like you're just in the chamber with so and so, I'm next to so and so. See, yeah, she's unfazed. You know she's tougher than me. Because with jujitsu mm-hmm. or any kind of wrestling sport, it, it if you have claustrophobia, it'll kick it in pretty hard. Okay. You know, because you're getting you're hypervent you're breathing hard and someone's smothering you. Yeah. You know. And so I thought I'm not hyper I thought that I'm not um claustrophobic. claustrophobic. Yeah. And so I went there and all you know, those nice glass tubes with the screen, mm-hmm. those were used there at the time. So they're like, Hey, we got this one over here. That one looks like a little tiny submarine. Yeah. I was like, yeah. And they go, don't worry. This little window here, we'll put a Netflix on. You can watch it to the tiny window. I go, sweet. Mm-hmm. So I get in all nonchalant. And she's like, hey, Netflix is down. Like, it's not working on your thing. I go, don't worry about it, dude. I'll yeah. just take a nap. So I get in there and that little, they still have that little small woman that works there a little. She's probably 20 yeah. something. Uh-huh. Okay. So she gets in there. That's a daughter. Oh, his daughter. Okay. Mm-hmm. She's in there like, I heard the, I'm like, hope that door doesn't jam because she doesn't look big enough to really kind of crank on that, right? <laughs> well, dude, the trippy thing is, is that you can't just come out of there. I learned that the hard yeah. way. So she goes, hey, if there's any issues, let me know. Just knock and I'll let you out. I go, sweet. Mm-hmm. So I get in there and I'm sitting there. And I was like, I wanted to be in that plastic one. I don't want to be in the steel. What if the door gets jammed? You know, then, it's, you know, I'm probably in there four minutes, dude, five minutes. <laughs> and I'm like. I'm not going to make it. Like, I started having a panic attack. My hands started getting clammy. This, I'm just pointing this out that your daughter's more of a savage than 60, me. 60, bro. She did 60 <laughs> hours in there. I couldn't do 60 minutes, bro. <laughs> I was in there like five minutes. I was like, <sighs> I was like, man, this thing is so damn small. And I started looking at the window and I was like, you really can't see anything. I said, where'd that girl go? <laughs> where'd that woman go? So I was sitting there, dude, it's probably four or five minutes in. By this point, I'm about to crawl out of my skin. Yeah. So I'm like, tink, 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 tink. She comes, she goes, yeah. I go, I need out. <laughs> I need out. And she goes, she goes, everything okay? I lied to her. I, what's her name? Do you know her name? Katanya. Katanya, I lied to you. I'm coming clean right now. I said, I feel nauseous. I need to get out. <laughs> she goes, okay. And I seen her walk towards the front of it, then walk off. I go, not that tink, 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 tink. I go, yeah. no, no, I need out now. Yeah. She goes, I got to depressurize it. Yeah. They just can't let you out. You can't. And I go, oh, <laughs> dude, I got in the fetal position in there and was like, started doing, like trying to center myself like, so focus. Jesus, Jesus, never leave me. <laughs> He's my savior. And you never went back in. Oh, dude, I got ultra religious. Dude, no, not just that I get out of there and I was whacked. Yeah. She goes, she goes, are you okay? I go, yeah, I just feel a little nauseous. I was still having anxiety. Have you ever had an anxiety attack? Um, not Yes, but not probably not as bad as you're talking. Dude, it was so bad. She goes, go do the red light, the red laser light stuff. <laughs> I can't even relax. I'm laying there like, dude, I'm still in panic. And I said, you know what? I said, you know what? I still feel nauseous. I, I have to go home. 
I felt screwed up mentally the rest of the day. That's awful. It, it took me to 10, dude. That's but, terrible. So your daughter's a boss. Yeah, Because that little one, I think I, I can handle a glass tube. I could see people. You could see the gears. The But when yep. she like cranked me into that, I felt like those... You know what brought this feeling back a little bit mm. when those when those billionaires went down in that sub oh, that goes yeah, to the Titanic? Yeah. I was like, oh, why would you go down there? That's such a even the shape of it's haunting that little freaking cyclops little yeah. thing. And do it, by the way, like you got to come out like in five minutes. Those guys were <laughs> they were down at the bottom of the ocean, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Crazy. That's, that's a horrible thing. But That's yeah, horrible. Your, no. your daughter's definitely tough. Oh, dude, so tough. But I was just yeah, I was just wondering like. Did you ever inquire with her, like, be, be, once the stroke occurred, like the full-on stroke, and she had the symptoms, mm -hmm. and it was delayed talking, she could remember that part, too? Yeah. And it's just, to her, it just seemed... Just, I mean, it was weird. Did she think clear? Did she ever say she yeah. could think clear? All, all clear. Yeah. Just, it was just the, our interaction, it was just yep. slower. Yeah. Wow. Yep. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. So the protocol was 60... 60 hyperbarics, yeah. At an yeah. hour apiece, right? Yep. Yep, and it's an hour drive. It's like forty-five minutes from our house. On a, on hey, a regular it could have been day. ten hours from your house. You'd be like, "Hey, we're going, baby. We're yeah. gonna get you fixed." My wife did most of them. I mean, just crazy. She got out. <clears throat> her first treatment was like I think twenty-four hours later. We got her in right away. She was doing five a week for the first two weeks, and then she went down to three a week, and then she went down to two a week. Um, and after every batch of twenty, we got a um, brain scan. After the first one, it'll the, the brain scan will spit out a brain age. And her brain age after 20 treatments was, I can't remember, it was like 74, something like that, 74-year-old. So I can't imagine what it was like right, right out of the hospital. And then it went down to 55. And then after that, she had normal brain activity after that. Remember I told you about my heart condition? Yeah. They did this scan of my entire cardiovascular system. Mm -hmm. And I was up there in the 70s. And you know how athletically involved I am. They go, yeah. your veins aren't even squeezing the blood around with your heart. Like it's that bad. That's crazy. Yeah. And I was like, great. Yeah. What else could go wrong? I know. It's depressing. Like, right? <laughs> you get the data. Wrong, you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your brain. Yeah. Stroke. Yeah. yeah. But so looking back at this during that time, how, how has that, how has that changed you? That had to have changed you as a man, as a, as a husband, as a parent. Mm -hmm. How did that experience affect yeah. you? Number of ways, dude. Um, again, life clarifying. And so I was already kind of like dabbling and trying to figure out. I had been working on for over a year just trying to figure out my purpose and place in this world and what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, so I'd already started in the coaching kind of path and dabbling in that. And so um, it accelerated that for me for sure. Because I'm like, man, if I'm going to spend time on this earth away from my family and I need to focus on how I'm showing up and the value that I'm adding. And so it affected me there. Um, but at a deeper level, it, it, it strengthened our faith as a family, but also individually, right? I mean, like praying harder than I've ever prayed in my whole life. Like I thought prayer was prayer. Just one level of prayer. You pray, that's it. Uh, for me, it went several layers deeper than that. And that's when I learned, like there was like, there's an night, there's a, th you know, a truth to fervent prayer community prayer, prayer as a family. Um, so it, it deepened our faith in a way that I never thought was possible. Yeah. Um, but also it, it it strengthened our community, man. You know, like we had people come around us and we got meals brought to us every day. I can't recall now, but it's probably 45 days straight where meals are just showing up like every day. People I don't even know. 
Wow. I'd have somebody in my kitchen. I'm like, who are you? They're like, oh, I'm so-and-so from here. I just brought you this. I'm like, are you a chef? This is amazing. <laughs> you know? I'm like, who are you again? Um, so people just showing up. Um, our men's group was spawned out of that, you know, Steve and I. And uh, Oh, is that what started it? Mm-hmm. Dude, yeah, because I remember Steve was like, hey, he called me. Yeah. It, what was it, four of us? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I got almost 50 people on the WhatsApp, right? Yeah. You know, 30, 25, 30 people showing up every every Friday morning. That's That started from it, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, dude, the fruit from this has been so incredible. Um, and it's one of those things, man. Like, you talk about the name of this podcast for a reason. Um, all those things happen for a reason. In the moment, you're like, F this. I don't, I mean, I don't want this to happen. I don't care what the reason is. I don't want to go through it. But it's in those moments where you grow the most, you're strengthened the most, you can come out of it. You know, it's just one of those things where sometimes it's hard to come out of it. You know, and you and I had a conversation before this started. It's like some people don't make it through because it's that hard. It's that awful. Um, and and I remember a pastor, I mean, gosh, just over 20 years ago now, he's like, when you have someone that's going through something hard, you better damn sure not say, well, everything happens for a reason. It's just all right. Like, don't yeah, say that's that. That's the worst time. He's like, don't say that. Just be like, hey, what do you need? How can I help you? Right now. <laughs> what do you need? You need a meal? I'm gonna make you a sandwich? Right? You need me to wash your car? Clean your house? What do you want me to do? And then later on, you can be like, all right, so like, what was the reason this, you know, how did this happen? What why did this happen? What reason? Like, what could you learn from it? How do you grow from it? Like later on, not in the moment for sure. Yeah, this is usually a thought, in my opinion. It's a thought that comes. A person develops on their own. Absolutely. In, at the right time. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's not something that... No. In the moment, you're like, this is the most horrible thing ever, and I want it to go away, right? Um, but yeah, man, looking back, the fruit from this experience has been so tremendous. And one of the things that I appreciate about it most is that when someone's going through something with their kids now, I don't have to say, oh, dude, I'm so sorry that's happening. I don't know what that feels like. I can only imagine. I don't have to say that. I get to say, dude, I, I like viscerally, I can remember what it's like driving down the five with a helicopter overhead that's got my kid in it. Like, I know what that feels like. That's, dude, that's like a tear jerking thought, man. Yeah. 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 And so for me, it's a gift because now it's like, dude, I can relate and then I can, I know how to help. I know what they need. I know what they're feeling. Um, like we've got a friend of a friend that's, you know, a friend that's in the group that has a friend that's got a, you know, child going through some stuff. Been thinking about him all week, all last week. And so I started making contacts because they've got weirdos in weird places that know weird things about health, right? Um, part of it because of Windsor Stroke, part of it just through my very odd network of, of human beings in the, on this earth and connected them with a friend with some really fringy science that could maybe help her, right? And so for me, I'm like, where did that come from? Well, it came from this. I know what it feels like, dude. And you like... As a parent with a kid that's going through something, like it's, and especially as a dad, dude, I'm sure Melissa felt this too. I know she did. But as a dad, there's something really primal about not being able to do anything. Like, I know there was, there was moments in those days where I was like, dude, I should be able to do something. I'm the freaking dad. I'm king of this house. I should be able to do something, right? And you can't do anything. Nothing, right? So you hit your knees, you pray, you have community come around you. Um, so it's a humbling moment. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that thought of that helicopter, though, dude, you've like, that tucked at my heart. That hurt. That is, um, see, those, those things like that is, 
the like you're fortunate. There's parents that have been through that and the helicopter ride didn't end well. Yeah. Like it's it, it it didn't end well. For sure. And it's like you dude, it just takes the words out of my mouth. Like yeah. I, I, I feel you, man. I, I feel what you're saying. And um it's you know, I mean, it, it sounds cliche, but you know how some parents goes, I would switch places with her. Yeah. If if I could. Yeah. You know? And um yeah, dude, that's that is so heavy, man. I'm just I'm glad that 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 everything has worked out and it continues to work out. Thank you. Because I know when you're going through things like that, how you talked about um, your perception of time changes, like when you're in the tub with your wife mm-hmm. and two minutes was like 45. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that time from there, even through the sessions of the hyperbaric before you started seeing positive results mm. that probably felt like years, Yeah, you know, and you're praying like, God, please, you know? And then in my experience, there's even sometimes doubt comes in, like maybe they were right. No, no. And you're, it's that spiritual warfare that starts occurring in our head. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm just glad that everything worked out for, worked out for you. And yeah. Appreciate Windsor, that, man. Dude. You That's know, you, you said, you said something about, you know, sometimes the, the helicopter, um, ride doesn't end well, right? It doesn't have the same sort of like, you know, um, end, ending and story. And it's interesting you say that, man, because we were going through all this and Melissa get, or Windsor gets released from the ICU and she has one day in a regular hospital room and then we get released and she's in this room and there's another family in there and Melissa and her fashion of making friends everywhere, she gets to know the mom and this kid and this kid's like, she must've been four. And this was like their, I don't know, 30th hospital stay or something. And, and then I've heard stories since then from other families and things are going through. I'm like, man, as bad as what we went through was, it wasn't Jack. Some people have, some people have way harder stories, man, you know, of cancer and treatment and brain injury and, you know, you name it, and then death. And so on the other side of it, too, it gives me perspective of like, man, you know, I've got a lot to be thankful for. As hard as this was, it could have been way worse. Yeah. The story could have been way different. And so um, it's just another, just like another evidence that's stacked um, in the category of just gratefulness and gratitude and appreciating the moments um, and you know, cliche, like you said, as far as like being, Oh, stop and smell the roses, you know, tomorrow's not guaranteed, but it's like, this is when it's right in front of your face like that. Um, it's a reminder, like those, those statements are cliche for a reason. These are things that we've struggled with since the beginning of humanity of just like, you know, even like parenting, sometimes it feels like, like, Oh gosh, I can't wait till the kids are out of the house or I can't wait till it's quiet. And then when the house is quiet, what? You miss them. It's twisted. And they come back with you, hey, what do you guys want to hang out? Yeah. Yeah. Just the other day, I sat in the garage because all the kids were busy or gone, and I'm like depressed. I almost wanted to cry. I'm like sitting on my son's drum set seat. I'm like, this is, nobody wants to hang out with me. This sucks. But at the same time, I always want the house to be quiet, or I want a moment to myself, right? So it's just twisted. It's like, no, just shut up and deal with the chapter that you're in and enjoy it. Yeah. Because one day it'll be the good old days. Is that a Macklemore line? I think it is. I don't know. Like, 
if somebody would have told us, I wish somebody would have told us these these are the good old days. Some some line like that, right? Like it's happening right now. Just enjoy it. You're gonna look back on it fondly, even the crazy moments. You're gonna look back on it fondly and be remember when? Remember that time? Kids were running around the house breaking everything, getting poop on stuff, <laughs> making a mess in my kitchen. My garage is always a disaster. My car, I told you my car's a rolling dumpster. Like <laughs> I'm going to look back on it, and I'm going to have a really clean car. I'm like, man, remember when the car was a disaster? Those were, that was a good time. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's true. Absolutely, it's Right? So it's like, shut up and just enjoy it now. Just shut up and enjoy the day. Right? This is all we got. Enjoy it. Yeah, man. That's actually a good perspective, man. To, uh, yeah, it's a good perspective. Um, there was a story I was going to mention, but I don't want to, like, go back down the... Uh, well, I'll just mention it lightly. Um, when you're talking about kids in the hospital, um, when I was younger going through seminary, mm-hmm. I had a friend of mine who I had a, quite a few friends, but one of my friends had um, graduated. He's working as a pastor. But the students and the pastors, we are chaplains at local hospitals, right? A friend of mine was in Central California, and he was the chaplain of a, of a hospital out there. And for those of you who are listening, um, there's... A, Catholicism and, Christi- and Christianity, they if to to um, just an average person who doesn't know much about religion or faith based systems, they look similar, but there's mm-hmm. there's some distinct differences. You know, um, one of them I can't like say rosary beads. Like Christians don't use rosary beads or talk to a priest and so forth, mm-hmm. uh, but Catholics do. So my friend, you know, when you're just out of seminary, you like you have your beliefs. You know, you're we ba- baptize submersion. We um, uh, we tithe ten percent. Like you're 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 in the zone. Like it's almost like going pro. You you've trained all this time. Now you're in the NBA. You're you're, you're doing your stuff. Yeah. And a friend of mine uh, was chaplain at a hospital, and someone came in and their kid died. Mm. And the kid was like, it was a baby. It, mm. it, it was more older than a year old. Dang. And um, my friend, like after it happened, he was pretty distraught. Not distraught, but just kind of opened up to me about it. So I'll just keep him anonymous. I don't know if he wants anybody to know, so he won't. People know it's him, but this family was like, um, uh, we want you to baptize our baby because mm. they're, they're Catholic. Yeah. And he was like, you know, traditional Protestants, you have to be an adult and knowingly and, you know, say, I accept Jesus. Yeah. This is a deceased baby. Oh my God. And so he was like, what do I do? Um, um, there's no Catholic chaplains available at the moment, and and if I say no, I don't believe in that. Um, I'll destroy their faith faith worse. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I'll drive them further away from God. Yeah. And not only do they want a baptism, they want the sprinkle baptism. He doesn't know how to do that. He does. I've used the name of the Father, <laughs> Son. You know that. Yeah. And so he just went over there, got on the computer, looked how to do it, and he baptized their. Deceased baby. Oh my gosh. And I was like, wow, man. Like he said, it goes against everything that I believe, but it doesn't go against everything I believe at the same time. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, um, we're to, as Christians, we're to show compassion, mm-hmm. you know, and not be a stumbling block to people. Yeah. And um, yeah, he told me that story. And I was like, man, that is so. I, I, he told me the day after it happened when he got off his shift. And I was like, unreal. That's heavy, man. And, yeah. it, and, it, and there's two points that I was trying to make with that is that one yeah that the hospital visits don't always end well 
for parents. And um, we should, as a parent or even as an individual, we should always be grateful for our health and that and the health of our loved ones. Don't ever just take it for granted or go, hey, I'm going to go visit my mom next year or next month or whatever. Um, there's actually a guy who talked about this on a, I don't know which podcast or social media I heard this on. This one guy broke it down to the host because mm-hmm. the host was like, yeah, I see my mom like every summer. She's back in Connecticut. And he goes, how old's your mom? Um, she's 66. And he goes, okay, let's say she lives at 76, which is like the, kind of the average age. Because um, the guy said he visited her for a weekend once. Once He goes, and usually he'll visit her, but then go see his friends. So he's only seen her one day. He goes, that's 10 years. You got 10 summers with your mom. And of those summers, you only spend one day. Mm-hmm. So right now, between now, the next decade, your mom dying, you got 10 times to spend with your mom. That's what you're doing. The guy was like, oh, yeah. I didn't see it that way. Mm-hmm. He goes, yeah, but that's how it is. You, If you love someone, you should spend time with them you yeah. know, and nurture that relationship because that's if your mom lives another 10 years. But so going back to the child. Uh, that was Jesse Isler. Was that Jesse Isler? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, dude. That, that, that made me – doesn't that – those type of, I don't mean to use this word. Apparently, it's a cuss word to you. Mm. Not a thought leader. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's You're like, I rebuke you, Kenny. No. <laughs> but yeah, those types of thought. You don't understand those types of thoughts. They're paradigm shifting. Yeah, you know, like they they don't it's, they don't have to be these real deep theological breakdowns. It's just um, they're simplified. It's very similar to how. Um, like, say, for example, Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus for a second. Jesus, he was a rabbi. Mm-hmm. Rabbis have specialized training. Everyone knows that a rabbi knows the Old Testament. When Jesus was alive, all he had was those scrolls that made up the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets, right? Mm-hmm. Memorized to a T, right? And um, have, have you ever... I don't, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but have you ever been to seminary? Mm-mm. Okay, when you go to seminary, some of these... Professor's like, well, if you look, the dynamics of Daniel chapter 12 ties in the revelation. And they're like tying in all these schematics, you know, and charts yeah. and things like that. What did Jesus do when he taught? He knew the most complex theological concepts and spiritual things. It was so simple. Mm-hmm. It was so simple. And and tying that into, what's the guy's name again? You were just saying, I'm Isler. sorry. Isler. Yeah. He, that is such a simple delivery. It's so di- easily digestible but profound, man. Yeah. You know, like when you think about that, like even you, like uh, you're talking about your kids, like you're sitting on your drum set, you're having one of those moments, mm-hmm. you know, that's even making me think right now. I'm like, you're right. There's crap I complain about, yeah. you know, like, do I want to call my sister today? I talk to my sister every day, but sometimes I talk to her a lot, but there's days I'm like, maybe I take a break. No, I need to call her. Yeah. Just, just, that's my sister. I love her. I'd rather have the, what's the other? I'm glad that I even have the option to call her, mm-hmm. to talk to her, or to see her. Yeah. It's, it's, it's things you can get your arms around, right? Like you can, you're like, oh, 10 years, one day a year, 10 days, 10 days is not enough. Okay. Right? Like you can get your arms around it. It's very clear. It's distinct. And um, it's easily digestible, as you said, but it's also memorable. Like you remember yeah. that story. Yes. And now you've probably repeated that story to like 100 people, right? Working on it. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> and so here's the thing. It's like you, you... Then you can share it, so it's portable. So you can share that with other people, and they're like, "Oh, dude, you know." It's like this Brene Brown um, snippet that went around. It's like it went viral. It was her and Tim Ferriss, and he was just talking about how, like, um, we need, like as a couple, you need to add up to a hundred percent, right? And this, she has this whole snippet, and you can look it up. But like people have, that's now it's more portable, so people can understand it. it doesn't need to be all intellectual, 
It's like the negative visualization. It's like, dude, if you can just like, if, if you did that once a week, you'd be like, oh man, you're going to show up way different. Yeah. It's a simple thing. Yeah. Let's act as if that thing happens. And so we can have the fruit of that, which is being more present, having more gratitude, appreciating the moments you have with people because they might be gone tomorrow. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. One other thing, because I don't want to go too long here because yeah. we're just diving into all kinds of things here, yeah. but um, what, how, this is a person, this is one for me. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, how would someone navigate like, um, like, do you know, like when you're dealing with leaders, uh, business leaders and you're like, you go to a head of a company and he's stuck in a certain pattern of thinking. Is there a way to d- disrupt that pattern? You know, because I, I get out of it, but then I fall back into it. Yeah. And I know this sounds crazy and uh, this, this, I'm, I'm an open book on here. Mm-hmm. I get in a pattern of thinking that, um, I'm cursed. Hmm. Like, like, um, I just come from bad stock and I'm trying to fight it. You know, like how the Bible talks about generational curses. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm a constant war against that, but I believe, I know in my heart that 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 whatever generational curses there are, God's delivered me from those things. Mm-hmm. But sometimes when things don't go right, say with business, I'm like, yeah, that's usually what happens, you know. And how do you break that cycle? Do you know, or yeah. any? Do you have any advice? Yeah, a lot. Um, only because we all struggle with that stuff, and it's so. Um, I won't call everybody else stupid, so I'll call myself stupid. Um, we're pretty stupid. And so, like, we'll have an epiphany, we'll have a breakthrough, we'll have vision, we'll be excited about a certain thing, like negative visualization or some other tool that we use in order to break habits. And then we forget. We're dumb beings. Like, we'll, we, we'll have all those things I just mentioned, and then we'll forget them. And so you need constant reminders in order to build that habit, in order to break that cycle. And so what do I have sitting here for people that are just listening? Um, I have a new tablet. It's called the Remarkable. It's pretty cool. Um, but I also um, brought with me my planner. This comes with me almost everywhere. Why is this here? Why do I have it here? I don't need it for this for this episode. But I bring it with me just in case. Because in here are, and I've mentioned this on a bunch of shows already, um, a written dialogue of what brings me joy and good feelings in life. What am I most passionate about? What would I do if money wasn't an issue? What is most important in my life? What are my personal core values? What does a successful life look like for me? What does a perfect day look like for me? What are my dreams, 50 dreams in my life, most important life goals, my one-year goals, my quarterly goals, my monthly goals, um, habits that I need to break, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I look at this every single day because I forget. I forget what's important. I forget what I'm working towards. I forget everything. And so I read through this. I actually have a video of myself reading these things that I'll watch like a crazy person because there's something about watching a video that's talking to you about the things that are most important to you. You're like, oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah, I got off track. I'm going to get back on track. We need constant reminders, man. Now you're talking about lies. So for those that are listening and don't see this, I have a laminated sheet of my four lies. Oh, my goodness. That's awesome, man. My four lies. I'm a bad husband and a father. Um, it's never going to work out. Nothing is working. I'm a fraud and a screw-up. I believe I'm someone I'm not. 
Another lie. I'm scattered, impatient, and lazy. At some point, I won't be able to provide for my family. These are my four lies. These are my four biggest lies. I've got probably hundreds. This comes from a book that I've mentioned a million times called Winning the War in Your Mind by Craig Rochelle. It's amazing. Go buy it. And so what's on this laminated sheet is my lie, a truth, which for me are Bible verses, the lie replaced with truth, and a declaration that has been created out of these truths that I wrote down, these Bible verses. And I visit them frequently, not frequently enough, but frequent enough to be reminded like, no, I need to replace this lie with truth. And he talks about lies being a, um, it's a neural pathway that needs to be replaced with a trench of truth. So this rut, which is a lie that you have, this is a rut, it's like when you're driving your car down a well-worn street, your tires want to find that rut, and it's easier to drive in that rut, and you got to fight the steering wheel in order to get it out of that rut, and you got to create a new rut, a trench of truth, but Craig Rochelle calls it. And so that's how you do it. And that lie, no matter where it came from, nature, nurture, whatever, um, is a lie that you've told yourself. And typically that's the ceiling that you hit um, when you're like, man, how come I can never break through this? How come businesses always get to this point, but I can't get through it? Or relationships get to this point, but I can't get through it and make it better? I can't go from good to great. Why is that? A lot of times it's that lie. It's a devil on your shoulder that's telling you like, ah, oh, bro, Kenny, it doesn't ever work out for you, man. It doesn't work. You know that. And you have all this evidence that's stacked. Like, yeah, it's, you know, it, it'll get good, but it's not going to be great, man. Come on. Who are you kidding? Right? Those are those lies that are in your head, and you got to remember. Like, so I'll read one of these because it's fun. So um, I'm a bad, so the lie, I'm a bad husband and a father. I make progress in being patient. I told you about being impatient and not yelling, but it never lasts. My family is constantly wondering when dad will freak out. Like that's the lie that's in my head. Right When I screw up and I yell or I get impatient, it's like, yeah, bro, you thought you were making progress, but you're not. So here's the truth, and these are three different Bible verses, or two different Bible verses on this one. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before that we would walk in them. Ephesians 2.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41.10. And my declaration is, God made me for this. I'm the husband and father to the family he entrusted to me. I have everything that I need. I will not fear or be dismayed, for he will help me and uphold me with his right hand. He's there. Like I have this vision of walking with God like I'm the kid and he's the dad and I've got my arm up and he's got his hand down and he's holding me with his right hand. He's walking with me, right? We are yoked. And so these are a reminder like, nah, dude, like I have the wife and the kids that the kid that God the kids that God entrusted to me, they're for me to take care of. Not anybody else, me. They're mine. Yeah. I'm made for them. They were made for me. You know what, man? That's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. Um, I'm relating that to what I'm used to, mm-hmm. and I, I do jujitsu, as you, as you know. Mm-hmm. And one of the problems that we have, like I've been doing it most of my life, is that uh, guys who have done it as long as I have, or you call them advanced, we forget the fundamentals, mm. you know, the basic moves. Yeah. And sometimes we're, we're training with someone, it's called rolling, but most people call it sparring, whatever, rolling. Um, you, we have some newer students doing things, and we're like, oh, yeah. And they'll actually might work on us, like, because we forgot the, the basics, the, the foundations yeah. of it. Yeah. And you're right, man. Actually, I'm going to do that. I'm, I'm going to start um, putting up, um, reminders mm-hmm. because 
you know what it's like as an entrepreneur. You you sometimes you're running on uh, high octane, man. You're like, oh yeah, I got the. This is I'm alive. Yeah. Then sometimes you know, it's the, during the race, man. You might get a flat tire. The team's interchanging tires. You know, you're it's it's a long race. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Mm -hmm. So then it gets to the point where you're like. Why did I even join this race, man? My neck hurts. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, you started, you know, and I've never really won a race this big. Mm -hmm. So maybe I'm not meant to win this race. You're right, man. It's interesting. I'm glad you shared that, man, because I've had those thoughts and it, it's a very, um, it's one of those things where you feel like, I feel like I'm the only one thinking that way, Yeah. you know? And I know that I'm not the type of person that like, and nothing against this, but some people they can grow, you know, become an adult, get trained or whatever occupation that say be a city bus driver, drive that same route for 20 years, retire and be happy. Mm -hmm. I can't. I'm I'm fluid. I'm yeah. in motion. You know, I need to I'm always I I have I'm I realize I need a purpose and I need goals. Yeah. And if I don't have a goal, if I reach that goal, I'm setting a new goal. There's always goals. There's I'm never just like, you know what? That's about it. I'm just going to sit at the beach all day. Mm -hmm. I would I would not. I wouldn't be happy. I'm not wired that way. Yeah. But being wired to reach goals, it's almost like I'm beating myself up at the same time. It's strange. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, yes, I want to take my company here, and I'm going to beat myself up. And there's someone who said this. Maybe you know who it is. You seem more well-read than me and a better memory. Mm -hmm. Someone said that negative <laughs> that negative talk in your head. If you took that out and made it a person who spoke to you, would you hang out with that person? Yeah. No. No. Yeah, there's someone said that, and I was like, "Yeah, you're right. I wouldn't." That's but good. Why do you? Why are you hang? Then don't hang out with them. Yeah. Don't invite them in. That's right. Yeah, because those are just thoughts. Your thoughts are not you. Your decisions and your core beliefs. But some thoughts, like sometimes you might think, you know, like say if you're an alcoholic or recovered, man, I should have a beer. No, I shouldn't. And then don't. That maybe I should have a beer is not you. This is a temptation. It's just a fleeting thought. Yeah. Don't. Def this doesn't define who you are as a person. You know, but yeah, man, thank you for sharing that, dude. That's, yeah. uh, I'm glad I know you. I'm, I, let's get to it, man. I'm glad I know you, man. You're, you're so deep. I knew thank it. You. Like when I said it earlier, I, this wasn't a compliment. There's a wisdom to you, thank you, you know, and not a lot of people have that. I know people older than you yeah. that are, have arrested development. They're like, they're 16 years old, you know, um, and, you, and you don't have to go through a lot of bad things to become wise. I think it's just, Maybe it, you think it's a choice. I don't know. You know, like yoga, yeah. like something. Like, I'm gonna get flexible, yeah. dude. It's, a, it's. I think I don't. I don't know if it's a choice. I think. Well, everything's a choice. I think that you, again, like bringing it back full circle to the beginning of the conversation. I think that you have to know what you don't know, or know that you don't know, and yeah. choose to grow in those areas that you want to grow in. Um, whatever it is, man, wisdom. Um, from God that I've been entrusted. I don't. I don't really know. All I do know is that, um, especially in this chapter with coaching, I feel a responsibility to um, share and a responsibility to put it to use as as well as I can in yeah. whatever format that is. So you think about um, a friend of mine put it this way: identity, calling, and appointment. And so, you know, I feel like this is, you know, part of my calling is to, is to share 
whatever comes to mind in whatever fashion and to continue to sharpen the sword or sharpen the ax or however you want to put it. So that's why I'm always reading and always trying to learn. Yeah, I used to read a lot. Now I'm broken down to just quotes and <laughs> sections. Yeah. I need to read. I I need to read. Yeah. But yeah, so long. Um, we'll wrap this up. We ran long, oh, which good, is man. good, it's man. It's been really fun. Yeah, it has, man. And I just want to thank you for taking the time to you know out of your schedule. I know that you're a full time dad, yeah. full time mm-hmm. entrepreneur. I mean, you're 100 percent across the board on everything. So, um, yeah, man. And thank you for opening up about your life. It's yeah. not very easy. I've had, uh, I've interviewed people, and um, some people kind of get gun shy. They're scared yeah. to be vulnerable. And I, I just want you to know that I appreciate, and I'm sure that the listeners appreciate your yeah. vulner- your your willingness to be vulnerable and open up your life to um, to strangers. Yeah. You know, but it's it's for a good cause. It's it's uh, like I've mentioned before. This is a this is a nonprofit. This is not a, a business podcast and there's not a plan to stack this and we're going to, you know, bring, try to get Brad Pitt here to do things. No, this is a resource just for people to, to let people know that other people know that um, you're not alone. They're not mm-hmm. alone. And there's, there's answers, there's solutions, there's a God, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That, that will, that will help. It's good. So, Appreciate thanks it. again, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks for doing this. No problem. Yeah. Yeah.